Welcome to Night Tales. I'm your host, Anonymous, and I'll be reading you classic stories that have been written and passed down through the ages. I'll be reading them in a very calm and soothing manner, so you may want to grab a blanket, maybe get under the covers, brew some tea, light a candle, whatever makes you feel warm and cozy. This could be a great thing to fall asleep to if you're like myself and you struggle falling asleep in the silence. And without further ado, this is Night Tales. And now we resume our book, Romeo and or Juliet. Tonight we will start on story number two from this book. As you know, it's a choose-your-own-adventure story. In our previous episodes, we were Juliet, so I thought we would switch things up tonight and start as Romeo for this tale. And without further ado, Romeo and or Juliet. You are Romeo! You've been wandering around town since dawn. You were up early and sad because you were so in love with Rosaline. She's perfect, you tell yourself. She's a real grown-up lady, beautiful with legs that won't quit and with some arms that won't quit and with the rest of her that's unwilling or unable to quit as well. But she's more than just a collection of limbs, isn't she? She's a full-fledged, awesome woman, and she's clever and funny and interesting, and you're certain two people have never been better suited for one another. The only problem is that she doesn't return your affection, like, at all. Dude, you're not even on the, oh, Romeo, I like you as a friend level. You're at the, it's Romeo, right? Level. The... Listen, Romeo, I've, um, taken a vow of chastity level. The, hey, I just remembered this vow lasts my entire life, so I'm sorry level. You can't figure out why she wouldn't bend the rules even a little for you. You're a 15-year-old boy who confessed your love to a woman in her 30s within five minutes of meeting her. What's not to like? All this walking hasn't helped you make any progress on the problem, and you're stuck on what you're calling stage one, trying to figure out the precise series of sounds to make emotions to emulate and actions to undertake in order to make Rosaline fall in love with you, because that's how romance works. (sighs) You're pondering this problem when you spot three people in conversation up ahead. They look like your parents, Charles and Rosemary, talking with your best friend slash cousin, Benvolio. Benvolio is great, and right now he's wearing this super cool vest. It's got, like, badges on it? And tassels? I know that sounds terrible, but it's really working for him. I'm still checking out that vest when your parents and Benvolio notice you standing there. Your mom and dad abruptly leave while Benvolio turns and jogs toward you. Good morning, cousin. He shouts, waving. You pretend not to notice because you're sad and want to be left alone. 
and also because Benvolio is a good friend. He kind of takes everything literally, which makes him not the best person to talk about feelings with. Actually, you saw Benvolio earlier today, only you didn't want to talk to him then because you were walking around crying over your feelings. Oh, Romeo, wherefore art thou such a wimp, Romeo? So you jumped into the woods and then hid while crying until he went away, because that's how you solve your problems. But there are no woods here. There's only a garbage can. What do you want to do? Benvolio shakes your hand repeatedly. Good morning, good morning, he says. You ask him if it is really morning, and he confirms that it is. You figure that's enough small talk. Time to talk about the important things, your feelings. Let me level with you, Ben, you say. Here's my whole deal. I love someone, but she doesn't love me back. Benvolio agrees that yeah, that sounds bad, and that love can be rough sometimes. What's rough is that love is supposed to be blind, but it can still see its way into making me do whatever it wants, you say, personifying your emotions as an imagined third party whose tyranny allows you to preemptively absolve yourself of responsibility for your own actions. That's right. Don't think I didn't notice. You're about to talk about love some more when you realize it's breakfast o'clock and you haven't eaten since it was dinner o'clock. That was yesterday. Breakfast, you say. Dude, let's eat some. Where shall we dine? You're about to give Benvolio a chance to respond when you realize he has blood on his face. It's been there this whole time and you're just noticing it. Now, you jerk. Although, honestly, part of the fault is mine since I'm in charge of the scene description here and I didn't realize it either. I was too distracted by his cool vest. Speaking of which, I've had some time to check out the vest, some more, and I'm pretty sure there are some sequins sewn into it. It's so great. Can you ask him where he got it? Hey Ben, where'd you get that vest? And in an unrelated manner, where did you get that blood on your face? You say. Both at the same place, Benvolio replies. I'll tell you all about it over breakfast. It's like you read my mind, you say. If, if we're being accurate, it's more fair to say it's like he read your mind and chose options you'd already tacitly rejected, but yeah, crazy coincidence. You take Benvolio's hand and tell him you're going to this amazing little brunch place you know. Everyone loves brunch, obviously. But you super love brunch. You're so big into brunch that your middle name should be Brunch. But you've spent several weeks trying to convince your friends that it's Dr. Lovesworth, so it's too late for that now. The quality of the eggs benedict there is off the hook, you say to Benvolio as you lead him down the road. They have a twice-fried bacon that's insane. I'm going to ask you about your face over breakfast. Okay, says Benvolio, a little hesitant. He pauses. I got into a fight at the shh, you say, pressing your index finger against his lips. You look up the road, still shushing him. We're almost there. 
<sighs> you soon arrive at your destination, an adorable restaurant situated beneath the carved wooden sign reading, The Merchant of Breakfast. Beneath it is a freshly painted illustration of what seems to be their new mascot, a smiling, giant, anthropomorphic egg, happily frying up a regular egg. He's got a voice balloon. I know not why I am so tasty, he says. That's new. You take your seats and a waiter comes by, introduces herself as Jessica, and gives you menus. She's got a red and white checkered handkerchief in her belt. Everything's so homey and fun here. Looking at the menu, you see an image of that egg frying an egg mascot again. Only now he's saying, if you fry us, do we not become extremely tasty? Here's a round of water. Can I get y'all some coffee to start? Jessica asks. Coffee, please. Two milks, two sugars, says Benvolio. And the pound of flesh looks good. Yes, I will have that. Bacon, please. Certainly, Jessica says and turns. And for you? You glance at the menu. All the dishes have cute names now. You're trying to decide between eggs that many men desire. Scrambled, apparently. And the devil can cite spinach and ham for his purpose. Spinach and ham quiche. And... The love is blind, if by blind you mean delicious, and by love you mean this French toast. After a few moments of careful consideration, you do manage to choose your own breakfast. Let Jessica know your choice and get some juice to go with it. I'll be back with that in the twinkling of an eye, sweetheart, she says, and she's gone. You and Benvolio look at each other. So, hey, what's up with your face, you finally say. I was at the beach, you know, the one by the lake. You nod, it's the best beach. Well, I showed up and dudes were biting their thumbs at each other, Benvolio says. I didn't know if the law was on their side or not. He takes a sip of his water. Frankly, he says, I'm not even sure why we have laws about where and when citizens are permitted to bite thumbs. Seems kind of dumb. Welcome to Verona, you say. Yeah, well... I broke it up, but it still got a little bloody. Tybalt Capulet punched me in the nose, so I punched him back in his shoulder and then stole his vest. That's justice, Benvolio says. You nod. Beach justice, you whisper, eyes wide. Benvolio looks around the room to see if anyone else is listening in. Our family and the Capulets keep fighting, cuz. I don't there's got to be a way to end this. I know just the thing you say. I appreciate how you tried to break up this fight, you say. But I'm a lover, not a fighter. Let's play to my strengths. Hmm. What if I just married all the Capulets instead? Then they'd be in our family and we wouldn't be able to feud anymore, and then the Capulet line would become extinct, assuming I required that all my spouses, male or female, took my last name. Also, we'll need to repeal some bigamy laws, but I've done some research on this. Here you begin to pull out a stack of papers from beneath your shirt, placing them on the table between you. And I think that with a few years of concerted lobbying, real progress can be made. 
Benvolio flips through the papers. I can see that you've actually put quite a bit of thought into this, he says, impressed. And I respect that you're looking at the long game, but I think that this is one problem that won't be solved by you marrying everyone. Weird, you say, taking the papers and stuffing them back down your shirt. Just then, your food arrives. Jessica appears at the table with your breakfast orders. You thank her, and soon you have begun the mechanical and chemical process of eating, which is required to sustain human life. Without it, you'd be forced to rely on your fat and muscle reserves, and those would be depleted in only a few weeks at the most. The first step in eating is to carefully push the prepared egg dish in front of you into your stomach via your face. You decide to do this in tiny stages, one forkful at a time. That accomplished, you use your teeth protruding into the flesh of your mouth from your skull to slice and grind the food into smaller pieces. This aids in digestion. While you chew, you mentally review what you know about eating. You think of the many substances you require, air, water, food, and reflect that if you cannot access them, for even a second, then a timer starts, and when that timer ends, you will die. Of air and water and food, you like the most, since that's the one with the longest timer. You can live weeks without food. Weeks? At the most, you'll only last three days without water, Romeo, and you'd be lucky to last three minutes without air. Breathing, drinking, eating, they're really just ways to postpone death for a little longer. Each breath buys you a few more seconds, each drink a handful of days. This meal will keep you alive for at least another 24 hours, assuming you don't fail to drink and breathe in that time. But mess that last one up and it's just about instant death, huh, Romeo? As you reflect on that, you suddenly become aware of your breathing, and shortly afterwards, you're also suddenly aware of how now you're breathing manually. In, out. How long does a breath normally take? <sighs> Why is this so hard? Anyway, don't worry, Romeo, there's probably lots of oxygen in the room. I mean, it's invisible, so it's not like you can say for sure, but the odds that this breath will be your last because all the air randomly moves somewhere else are pretty small, right? Anyway, Benvolio is asking you about something... Something to do with the Capulets. You should probably use your manual breath control to handle your respiration needs while also expelling air such that your vocal cords vibrate in this controlled way. If you can pull it off, you'll be able to talk without dying. Do the Capulets even have any daughters your age? Benvolio says, digging into the food piled in front of him. I don't know, probably, you say while chewing. I'm going to marry Rosaline first, though, just as soon as she realizes she wants some vitamin R. Vitamin Rosaline? asks Benvolio. No, no, vitamin Romeo, you say. What's a vitamin? asks Benvolio. Listen, you say, pushing your breakfast to the side so you can have some real talk. If we're going to end this without bloodshed, we need a plan, a real plan. To do what? Benvolio says. 
In response, you slide your breakfast back in front of you and you cut off a bite of your food and put it in your mouth, all while maintaining unbroken eye contact with Benvolio. You and me are going to end our parents' strife, you say through a dramatic mouthful of egg. How, Benvolio says. Easy, you say. We spy on them. One of us tags my parents, the other takes the Capulets. Once we know their secret hopes, dreams, desires, fears, and weaknesses, once we know them better than they know themselves, we use that knowledge to manipulate both people and events to achieve our goals. We'll guide them towards peace without even knowing we're there. Ah, I get it, says Benvolio. So the Capulets and Montagues will think they're making their own decisions, but we'll actually be the ones in charge of what they decide. We'll be like the gods. Or like people playing one of those choose-your-own-at- Yes, you say, interrupting. Yes, we'll be like either one of those two things. Are you in? Absolutely, Benvolio says. You signal for the bill. When it arrives, turns out the mascot is back again, printed at the top. Now he's frying an egg and saying, All the glitters is our golden egg special. Served as you like them, with coffee or juice, your, your choice of home fries or toast, every day before 11 a.m. Huh, you say. So do you want to shadow your own parents or the Capulets? Benvolio asks you to make your way outside the restaurant. I clearly know my own parents best, you say. But on the other hand, familiarity might blind me to certain things that an outside observer would see. It's a tricky problem. However, I think we can both agree on what the extremely obvious right choice here is. You sneak your way over to Capulet Castle, noticing on the way over how all the servants are running around with decorations, flowers, and streamers. You can't tell if they're cleaning up after a party or preparing for the next one, but you smile. The hustle and bustle this generates will make your infiltration easier. Plus, even the security guards are helping out with the work, so sneaking in here is actually super easy. Once inside the castle grounds, you look around. You haven't really thought of the best way to approach this, but you know you need to get inside and close to the Capulets. A few ideas suggest themselves, but two of them stand out as being really terrific. Disguise yourself as a maid, or disguise yourself as an innocuous wall. Nobody ever suspects walls. You make sure nobody is around, then sneak into the castle looking for the maid clothes depository. There's gotta be one, right? You know, a big, unguarded room where they keep all the maid clothes. Turns out, yes, a castle this size does require such a room. You enter the maid clothes depository and exit a few moments later, disguised as Maid Romeo. To be honest, you kind of thought there'd be clothes for men in there, but you now realize you were thinking of butler clothes. A butler clothes depository. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Your maid outfit is amazing. A black dress with white ruffle details covers your waist and stops well above your knees with sheer black stockings taking up the slack white frills encircle your shoulders and a lacy white apron runs down your back a 
black maid's cap, a feather duster, and a tiny black bow at the top of your apron complete the ensemble. You smooth down your apron and brush off your cuffs and get to work. Clean Mr. and Mrs. Capulet's room, maybe they'll be there, or clean some other room. You push open the door of the Capulet's room and step inside, focusing your attention on dusting the mantelpiece near the door. You figure the more you act like a maid, the less you'll look not like a maid, which can only help your disguise. Therefore, a few seconds later, when you manage to glance at the room, you see an older man Lord Capulet. You see his wife, Lady Capulet, and beside them you see... Oh, you see the most beautiful woman you've ever met. You instantly forget all about Rosaline. Juliet is staring at you, her mouth slightly open like she's shocked too. And Romeo, I like you, so I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. This whole love at first sight thing you're feeling right now, she feels exactly the same way. I... You say, I'm... Juliet's parents turn to look at you. I, the maid, am going to go clean the room next door. You say, slipping out of the room and into the hallway. You lean against the wall, your eyes closed. It's insane how attractive Juliet is. You didn't know it was possible to desire someone so badly. The door behind you opens and Juliet steps out. She closes the door behind her and looks at you shyly. My name's Juliet, she says. I'm sorry, but I couldn't stop looking at you. I've never met a man dressed like you before. You glance down at your maid's outfit. Oh, this old thing, you say? She laughs. I'm Romeo, you say. Listen, I don't normally do whatever this is, but I need to tell you something. Two things, actually. You take a deep breath. Drop to one knee, take her hand, and say the bravest thing you've ever said. If I profane with my unworthiest hand this holy shrine, you say. The gentle sin is this, my lips, two blushing pilgrims, ready, stand to smooth that rough touch with a tender kiss. She smiles down at you. Hey, uh, I'm also kind of a, a Montague, you say. She gasps and yanks her hand away. She turns back into the room, but stops with her hand on the door. She's motionless for a few seconds, and then, without turning, she speaks. My only love sprung from my only hate, she says, sighing. Her hand hovers above the door handle. Then she turns back, takes her head in her hands, and kisses you hard. Though meeting you like this feels much like fate, she whispers between smooches. The two of you kiss each other for a long enough that I actually start to get a little uncomfortable. This is crazy, you say. This is crazy, Juliet agrees. You want to stop, Romeo Montague? Not on your life, Juliet Capulet, you reply. I don't want to stop this until the day I die. She looks at you, and you realize what you've said, and you don't care. You know what? You say, taking her hands in yours. That's the truth. Let's get married, Juliet. Now that's crazy, she says. I'm serious, you say. Let's get married. Or at least engaged. We don't have to rush into things if we don't want to, right? We can stay engaged for a while if you want. Poof. Juliet says. 
Engagements are for wimps. We need to have the courage of our convictions, she says. Hey, Romeo, watch this. And she opens the door, steps into the room, and pulls you in behind her. Mom, Dad, she says, this is Romeo Montague, and we've just got engaged, and we're getting married on the ASAP. They turn to look at you, shocked. Sir, ma'am, you say? I know our families have had their differences in the past, but I... Her mother talks over you. Juliet, she says, are you serious? Do you really intend to marry this Montague? I do, she says. I never believed and loved at first sight before, but whoa. Seriously, Mom, it's real. So real. I wouldn't be surprised if Romeo and I go down as poster children for love at first sight after this. Her parents look at each other. This would solve our Montague problem, Juliet's mom says. He marries into the Capulets, we're both the same family, and bam, allies instead of enemies. Do you think the Montagues will see it the same way? Juliet's dad says. Honey, they're not stupid, she replies. They can see the same advantages we can. This marriage can put an end to an almost 70 years of unremitting hostility between our two houses. Hostility which, I remind you, both sides can no longer afford. Juliet's dad seems lost in thought. Then he takes your hand in his and shakes it warmly. My boy, he says. You and Juliet are married two weeks later in front of both of your houses. Benvolio is more than happy to serve as your best man. Okay, wow, congratulations, Romeo. You met Juliet, got married super fast, ended the conflict between your two families, and ate a fun and cool breakfast. Now who says reading isn't fun? based on the book Pillow Thoughts by Courtney Peppernell. This is me. I am the eye of the storm, and my heart is a little broken. But if you want me, I'm yours. <laughs> 